Good morning, everybody. Good to see you guys today. Hey, wave, wave at me if you're enjoying Christmas so far and singing Christmas carols. And uh, how many of you start turning on Christmas music in like September 31st, when crossing October, you start, some of you guys. Yeah. I find that I, I am whistling Christmas carols in July and Bethany will just be like, that's enough of that. But uh, I love Christmas. I am a... Um, I'm in my uh, now late 30s. I can't say mid 30s anymore because I'm 38. And uh, I still get Christmas presents from my mom. And um, I just feel like some people would want to shame me for that, but I have no shame. I mean, she's going to buy me presents, so I might as well tell her what I want, right? <laughs> How many of you still enjoy getting presents? Uh, yeah. Okay, I just want to do a quick straw poll here. Raise your hand if you pick out and buy your own presents and your spouse then gives what you've already bought for yourself at Christmas. That, those people raise your hand. That's me. All right. And then those of you that are like, no, it's all a surprise and it doesn't count if it's not the other way. That, that's the other side, right? Okay. Awesome. Yeah. So I like to pick out my own presents and I get a lot of flack from my mom and my wife. Uh, not really a lot of flack, but you know, a small amount um, for, you know, in the past I would open my presents and use them before Christmas, which I guess is off limits. How many of you feel like if it's your present, you should just be able to use it, right? When anybody else? Okay. Anyways, we'll leave. Just trying to stir up some controversy here right in the beginning. We are uh, finishing up today our series called Legacy. And it's been a, a good series, uh, not because the messages have been spoken well or something, but because the content is really important, um, that God would have us to be generational thinkers. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The story of God's goodness and faithfulness doesn't just play out in one generation. It, it goes on and on and on. And as we embrace that kind of legacy thinking, it really changes everything about our lives because our culture is very much the microwave uh, kind of thinking. You know, I want what I want and I want it now. I want it on my timeline. And God operates in a very different way. In, in many cases, God asks one generation to plant a seed of which the next generation or a future generation that they don't even know of will be the one to eat of the fruit of that tree that was planted, right? And that happens in so many different ways. And uh, we are the beneficiaries in our day and age of people that hundreds and even thousands of years ago were planting seeds of faithfulness and generosity and goodness and extending the kingdom of God and extending the Christian faith even down through history. So because we are the beneficiaries of legacy, it's important that we also are investing in living a legacy now so we can leave a legacy for future generations. And we do that in, in so many different ways. We've talked about leaving a legacy of faith. Uh, today, we're going to talk about leaving a legacy of character. Last week, we talked about leaving a legacy of generosity. So we're celebrating that. Before we jump into the message today, uh, today is kind of our focal point day for the legacy offering. And uh, we'll put the slide up there uh, on, the, uh, on the screen. But legacy offering is just a time where we say, God, out of the blessing and out of the overflow of what you've done in our lives in terms of finances and resources, we just want to give back and invest in legacy both locally and globally. So the way we do with, with legacy offering is it's above and beyond regular tithes and offerings. And we've just been asking that you would just take some time, pray, uh, meet with Jesus, say, Lord, what would you have me give? Talk to your wife or husband, um, be on the same page. And then when you're ready, you can go to joyeugene.com slash give, drop down menu legacy, or in the seat back pocket in front of you, feel like a pilot. There's safety instructions, there's a vomit bag, and there's a, um, there's a, a card in there. And uh, that card, you can write legacy on there if you want to give that way. But with legacy, what we do with this is we give to uh, two, two directions on this. First is local legacy. You can see some of the things that we're doing with, with this fund this year that we have done. Um, these are investing in our community, 
um, and also within the church for some of the projects that are outreach projects that make a difference in our community, like our playground, uh, debt retirement, but we're giving to Eugene Mission. We give to them regularly. We serve Shasta Middle School, Dove Medical Cottages of Hope. But the other side of, of legacy is also the global legacy. And this is some of the missions partners and churches and church planting organizations and um, even just uh, uh, serving communities with wells and that type of stuff that we give to. So the legacy offering is going to be given to these categories, local and then global, and that's where that fund goes. So it's not for operations of the church and paying staff and that type of thing. It is for investing in the legacy of God's kingdom in our community, but also abroad. So today, if you haven't taken time to meet with Jesus, hey, take some time this week and just say, Lord, what is it? It's not about the sum or the amount. It's about the obedience and the posture of your heart to say, Lord, I want to invite you into this area of my life. So I know Bethany and I, we had our time of prayer. We talked about it. God put it in our heart what to give, and we gave that offering. Um, And for me, it was a really cool thing because uh, we didn't give the biggest offering that we've ever given this year. It wasn't even a a lot, really, from what we, we would sometimes give. But for us, based on where we are in our life and our finances, that was an act of faith. And I really said, Lord, I pray that you would use this to remind me that you are the bread maker. You're the breadwinner. You're the one who brings in my resources. And I, I really felt that peace come in my heart in, in the act of generosity that God was saying, hey, you're trusting me with this and I've got you. Amen? Amen. So it was cool. So I'm just inviting you to do that. What I want to do today is just pray over this offering and uh, believing God that it'll go into good soil and, and bear fruit. Father, we thank you. I thank you for Joy Church. This is a generous church historically and in the now moment and in the future, Lord. I know this is a place of generosity, Lord. We are a people that invest in your kingdom and in spreading your goodness around uh, our community and in our church and also around the world. Uh, Lord, I pray that the offering that is given would be good seed, that, Lord, it would find good soil and it would produce fruit. We're asking, Lord, that beyond the surface level observable things that this offering does, that, Lord, it would bring a harvest of souls, that, Lord, this generosity would make an impact for this time and season, but also for future generations to come. So Lord, we thank you for the generosity of, the, of your people. I thank you for the blessings that you've poured on into us and on us, Lord, and the abundance that you've given us, God. We thank you for your goodness expressed through our finances, and we love to give back to you as an act of worship and to invest in your kingdom. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, friends, well, we're jumping into a message today about legacy, legacy of character. And I'm, I'm deeply passionate about this topic because I believe that God's people should be seen uh, as, a, as a people that have integrity, a people that have character. If no one else, then God's children, his sons and daughters should begin to look like him. It's fascinating to me because the world around us has a, uh, a, per- a perception of church people where it's not okay if somebody is going to church and kind of wearing the name of Jesus and saying, I'm a Christian, and then not living up to that standard, what do we call somebody like that? A hypocrite, right? Now, you can have somebody down at a bar, pull, you know, putting down a couple of fifths of, am I saying this right? For those that are, <laughs> you can be down under the bridge smoking doobies, you know, whatever it is. You can have them all. <laughs> Homeschooled, all right. <clears throat> <laughs> hey, I know how it is out there in the mean, cold world. I watch The Simpsons now that I'm allowed to as a 38-year-old man. But anyways, you could have the, 
You can have the scum, scumbaggiest sinner, you know, whatever, doing, doing all kinds of ungodly things, and then you get a Christian acting the hypocrite, and they're like, what a hypocrite, and everybody's like, yeah, they suck, which is funny, right? Because it's like the pot calling the kettle black, right? But what's actually being observed here is that if you wear the name of Christ, you are meant to live at a higher standard. Now, in church, we understand there's the grace of God. We all fail. We all sin. We all make mistakes, whether it's an accident or we did it on purpose. Come on. Because how many of you are like me and you actually choose to sin sometimes? (laughs) Just stone cold sober. You know what I mean? You're just completely in your right mind and the Lord's like, don't do it. And you're like, I'm going to do it, you know? (laughs) And it doesn't work out, but we do, you know, we sin. And what's interesting though, is that we have this idea, even, even sinners know that if you are a Christian, there's a standard. And there's an expectation that we'd live up to it. And what I want to do today is I want to talk about the value of living a life of character, not just so you can look good and not so you can just be the goody two-shoes Christian and, and, and not have people think you're a hypocrite, but so you can actually look like your father in heaven, which is the point of being born again. You know, I was born uh, to great parents, Steve and Kim Schmelzer. I was born in 1984. Uh, my birthday's October 12th, in case anybody wants to bless me at any point, you know, it's already passed, so, but anyways, um, when I was born, I was born as a schmelzer, I was born as a human being, but I had to give my life to Jesus and be born again, and being born again doesn't eradicate my schmelzerness, right, my Italian and German heritage, but I'm brought now into a new heritage and a new legacy of a son of God and a a co-inheritor with Jesus Christ, and there's now this, this need and this, this aim to look like my father in heaven, to express that paternity, right? To, to embrace that. And so when we talk about living a life of character and leaving a legacy of character, we're talking about looking like Jesus and embracing this generational way of thinking. But beyond what that does in our lives, what it does is when you live a life of character and integrity as a follower of Christ, doesn't mean you're perfect, but you, you now get to be a template or an example, and you can say, like Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ, or follow me as I follow Christ. And what I, my heart and my desire is that for my children, they wouldn't look at their father and say, oh, he was perfect. What they would look at, they would look at my life and say, he lived with authenticity, he lived with integrity, he had character, he didn't, he didn't try to change the scales or change the measurements. There, was short, there were shortcomings in his life, but he... he held himself up to the standard of Christ, and that was the character that he exhibited. Amen? So today we're going to talk about how to live and leave a legacy of character. A couple of definitions here. The first one is the word integrity. And you could probably call this message um, legacy of integrity, and it would fit just as well. But uh, we're going to say legacy of character. But this is the word integrity, what it means. The quality of being honest and having strong moral principles, moral uprightness, the state of being whole and undivided. One of my favorite verses in the Bible says, unite my heart to fear your name. An integrated life, a life of integrity says what you have, what comes out of your mouth and what is going on in your heart are the same. What, what is happening in your mind and what you're speaking out are the same. What you're doing in your life and what your values are and what you believe are the same. This is what the world looks at with Christians and they say, well, if your behavior doesn't match your stated beliefs, then we call that hypocrisy and that shouldn't be named, right? And what's being looked at there is a weakness, a lack of integrity. I'm glad for things like engineers and uh, contractors that understand structural integrity. How many of you are glad we had some engineers and architects and contractors that were like 
all about measurements and integrity when it came to a structure. You know, I was talking about this in first service, Kelly King and the, the team that, that worked on this building, they put 1,300 individual two by six beams. You can look up and see the new wood, 1,300 by hand with tools, I suppose. But, you know, I mean, I was just hammering those nails in like this, but those guys were using power tools. But anyways, they put 1,300 beams into the, the ceiling of this, uh, of this structure to increase the structural integrity up to the codes that we now have in 2022. How many of you are grateful for that, right? We're grateful for integrity. When it comes to our lives, other people are depending upon the structural integrity of your character. There's something about my children knowing that they're gonna come home to me, continuing to be faithful and integrous in my marriage that allows their little hearts to grow and, and go to school and feel safe resting on the integrity of my character as their father and vice versa with their mother. Uh, when there is a lack of integrity, when there's weakness in integrity, that creates a lack of trust. It creates a lack of safety and, 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 and less of an opportunity to flourish for the people around us. Everyone wants everyone else to be 100% integrous. And yet often in ourselves, we want other people to, give, to excuse us when we don't have integrity, right? But, but integrity matters. The second definition is this, character. Character is the mental and moral qualities distinctive to an individual. The distinctive nature of something or a person's good reputation. When I was a young man, I went through a time of prophetic ministry. We call it presbytery. We'll probably do it here at some point, but we brought, the church brought in these prophets and uh, various people were, were selected to go through this ministry to have the prophets speak what God was saying to them about that person's future and life. And so... Anyways, I, I was going to go through this prophetic ministry and I didn't sin for two weeks because I was so afraid that the prophets would be like, we saw what you did, you know, <laughs> tell everyone. Anyways, anyways, we saw you watching The Simpsons. Okay, so uh, my dad, after this time of prophetic ministry, these prophets were speaking these words over my life, you know, you're going to be called in a ministry, you're going to do such and such and God's going to use you and these, it was really beautiful things and, and, uh, but the thing I remember the most is right after these prophets uh, spoke this over me and I heard the word of the Lord is I stood there and then they would pray a blessing. And so my dad, he comes up and he grabs the mic and, and he, he prays this prayer over me and he says, Lord, thank you for all the things you've spoken over my son. Thank you for what you've called Jake to do. But I pray, God, that his charisma would never overtake his character. And I was like, oh man, you know. <laughs> No, it was actually a beautiful prayer, and I appreciate it. And I remember it to this day. Because my dad understood this. The capacity of your character sets the level of your destiny. Character determines how high you fly and how far you fall. And every young person that I've ever talked to, they desire to be gifted. They want to shine. They want to be, you know, if they're going to be a singer, they want to be the best singer. Uh, if they're going to be a football player, they want to score touchdowns. They want to be a star. You know, everybody, if you're going to go in business, you want to win. You want to make a lot of money. We want a great destiny. Most of us desire that our giftings and what we're wired to do and who we are would sort of excel and we'd be seen by others as being successful. And God has a great destiny for each and every one of us in this place. Whatever it is he's gifted and called you to do, there is a great destiny in store for us. But what we often neglect is this issue of character because character is the container of destiny. Character is both the floor of, of how far you can fall, and it's also the ceiling of how high you can fly. Character contains the, or, or it holds the weight of our destiny, 
And therefore, character needs to be something that we focus on even more than gifting or talents or working on our skills. I was going to uh, a Christian school. I was in uh, third grade, and my, my mom and dad were pastors. They are pastors. They're retiring in March uh, after 40 years of ministry. And uh, anyways, we, we were um, going to a Christian school, and I think, I think my parents' finances weren't able to afford this Christian school, so they were making a decision, you know, do we put our kids in public school? Do we homeschool? And uh, my mom was really nervous because she said, I'm not a teacher. And I, I like to tell people this if they consider homeschooling their children. Um, my mom went through this whole thing where she was like, well, I'm not a teacher. I don't think I'm qualified. I don't know. And my dad said this to her. He said, I'd rather have righteous idiots <laughs> than educated uh, immoral atheists or whatever. And he was being hyperbolic in case anyone is. Those obviously aren't the options there. But my mom was like, I get it. So he got righteous idiots. Amen. Come on. <laughs> No, actually, if you know my family, I actually ended up graduating high school. I went to university at 14 years old, and I was at Southern Oregon University when I was 14, and I had a little mustache at the time, and so I fit in well, and I was kind of a mascot there, but all of us, we all, all of my siblings, we did fine educationally. I'm, I'm not really the sharpest tool in the shed intellectually. Those of you that know me know that's true. I mostly care about Oregon Ducks football, where to get a cup of coffee, so on and so forth, but, um, but we did fine intellectually. Uh, what, what was being spoken of, of here in this, this, when my parents were making that decision was they w- were making a vote for our character, uh, our moral upbringing, so on and so forth. And I appreciate that. You know, from, from that early age, it was that kind of a, of a perspective, like this matters. And, and even if education were to suffer, character is, is at least or even if not more important because it's the container, Okay. That was the concept there that I was trying to share. And this is something that in our society, we oftentimes will put the external measures of success and the things that lead to those things above and beyond someone's character. But what I found is there are a lot of smart people who because of character flaws or a lot of very talented or gifted people who because of character flaws never realize the potential of their destiny. And conversely, there are people with strong character who, because of their capacity to continue to operate habitually in a a consistent manner because they have strong character, will surpass the more talented people. Come on. It's like the idea of the tortoise and the hare. The hare was more gifted. The tortoise just kept walking. And there's something about strong character that keeps you on course and keeps moving in the right direction that ends up causing even your destiny to excel, even beyond those that are more talented, intelligent, or gifted in life. So my thesis is this, that we would invest in our character. And today I want to give you six principles of character, how to live and leave a legacy of character in our life. Number one, you can't build character when you need it, only when you don't. You can't build character when you need it, only when you don't. There are times in life that come, either they're the testings of circumstances in life, the storms of life, we might say, or even those moments of temptation, of seduction, where, you know, something looks really good, but it's sin and you know it's wrong and you're tempted in that moment. And here's the issue. When the storm comes, you either have built your life on the rock or you've built it on the sand. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter seven. He says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. 
When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. I can't tell you how much my heart breaks when I have, throughout the years, had people come into my office or come to my house or whatever, and they come to me with sand of their marriage or the sand of their children or the sand of their work, and it's sifting and flowing through their hands. Because in that time of testing, they hadn't built character. And so when the temptation came, they went the wrong direction. Or when the storm came and there was tension and stress or whatever, it all collapsed because it wasn't built on the rock. And I think we like to over-spiritualize this, but what Jesus is actually saying is, look, I'm going to tell you what to do. And if you do it, you're building your house on the rock. And if you don't do it, you're building sandcastles. And it's not if storms come, it's when storms come. How many of you that have been alive for more than five years know it's not if, it's when storms come. And you don't know when they're going to come. It's like, man, your finances, everything's good, your career path, and all of a sudden, like some other company comes in, buys you out, and now you don't have a job. Or maybe your marriage was going great, and all this kind of stuff, and all of a sudden your spouse is wigging out or whatever's going on. And and we don't know when the storms are going to come, but we do know they are going to come. And character is often your how much you have put your life into the bedrock of Jesus' teaching, because I'm I'm not going to act like that, oh, there's all these types of moral compasses we should use. No, my compass is aimed true north at Jesus Christ and his teachings. Amen. So that's what we believe. And so strong character, I'm, you know, saying is is, uh, equivalent to putting your life built on Christ. When that storm of life comes, when that temptation comes, you, you know then if you've built that character when the sky was blue, when the winds weren't blowing. Proverbs 24, verse 27 says, do your planning and prepare your fields before building your house. I used to be a Bible college director. Bethany and I did for nine years. We were leading an internship in a Bible college in Medford. And this was one of our kind of core verses. Kayla probably heard this a few times, you know. We had like a few greatest hits, you know. It was like every year, hey, this is the verse. This one in Proverbs 24, do your planning and prepare your fields before building your house. As human beings, we have a desire to go build our house, house representing your marriage or, you know, romantic relationships, your career, the comfort of your life, the sort of visible success metrics of your life. And the scripture says, hey, go do the dirty work first. Go dig out the field. Go get the dirt clods out. Go get the seed planted and get your, get your income uh, happening. And so what we would talk about this with our interns is we say, hey, work on your character. Work on your spiritual devotion, your relationship with Christ. Work on your integrity as a person. Work on your education. Before you go try to like, you know, hook up and hang out with some, some girl or some boy, you know, and get all dressed up with nowhere to go. What if you actually were bringing something to the table before entering romantic relationships? Any young man that comes to um, approach me in, in my uh, future self, you know, uh, with my shotgun in hand to ask for my daughter's, uh, you know, my approval to, um, to date them, you know, to, go, to date my daughters, or pursue them romantically, whatever. I can't even say it. That's how <laughs> I'm already mad. I'm already spitting mad. There will be questions. Young man, have you prepared your work in the field? What is the, what is the nature of your destiny? What, what has God called you to do? What is, what is my princess, my daughter, supposed to help you accomplish in life? And do you think you can handle her? Because <laughs> I guarantee there's a lot of purpose and vision and leadership and gifting in this young lady, right? So it's this question, do your planning and prepare your fields before building your house? 
Another way to put it is this, vegetables and exercise do nothing for you while you're having a heart attack. Hey, eat some broccoli, it's gonna help your... No, you have to eat it beforehand. You, you gotta go out and do your power walking at the mall. You know what I mean? My grandma used to do that, the power walk. You know, I can't even do it. My hips don't lie that much. Okay, so anyways, it doesn't do you any good in the moment of heart attack. It's something you have to invest in and do before. John Wooden said, the true test of a man's character is what he does when no one is watching. Number two, remember the four G's. Remember the four G's. Okay, this will make sense in a second. I was in Bible college and this venerable man of God, his name was Leonard Fox, just a prophet, preacher, cut from that cloth of old school ministry. Just, I love this guy. And he was just solid. He sits down and he was mentoring us young men and he said, young men. How do you go the distance in ministry? What do you do to be successful as a man of God? He said, the three G's. And I know I said four. Don't worry, we'll get to the fourth. But he gave us three. I've added a fourth since then. He said, the three G's. Don't touch the gold. Don't touch the girls. Don't touch the glory. And he was reflecting about 1 John 2. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Don't touch the gold. Don't touch the girls. Or if you're a girl, don't touch the guys. Don't touch the glory. was referring to the test of money, you know, as a preacher, but even just as a Christian. This isn't just for ministers. It's for all of us as disciples. Money becomes a test, right? The gold. Uh, sexual purity. We live in a very sexually immoral time. And it's, it's always been this way. It's not like we're probably worse now than we were before. It might just be more out in the open. But there's a temptation in this area. And then the pride or the presumption of life, touching God's glory. He was giving us, uh, he was giving us rails and saying, you know, here's these young men that want to serve God and bring glory to God and so on and so forth. And he was saying, here are the things that if you touch these, they're going to wreck you, right? Check yourself before you wreck yourself. Don't touch the three G's. Now that I'm 20 plus years into being a pastor, you know, I am young, but I was young when I started. So uh, 18, 19, I was hired at church. So I'm coming into 20 years of ministry. And um, I added a fourth one here, and it's this one, guts, the fourth G, guts, which is courage to do the right thing, even when it hurts. But I look at these uh, four Gs, and I remember them. I still tell myself, hey, don't get caught up in, in the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and you need to have guts, courage to do the right thing, even when it hurts. Because the reality is this, our character is always being formed always being formed. And character, whether good or bad, is always formed in the moments of decision. So when we choose to take the easy path or the sinful path or the low road, our character is weakened. Conversely, when we choose to take the high road, when we do the right thing, when we do the hard thing, when we do the honest thing, our character is strengthened. Bethany and I have a phrase that we say to each other regularly, which is this, what is the boss move? Okay. And I'll explain what I mean by that. What is the boss move? And I hate when she asks me this because here's what it means. It means what's the highest level of character, of leadership, of integrity, of doing the right thing that you could do in this situation? 
And so my wife will hold me accountable to when I want to chicken out and not have that hard conversation or avoid the awkward moment or, or maybe not do the full, fullest extent of the right thing, she'll say, what's the boss move? And I love when I get to ask her that question. She'll be like, oh yeah, I was talking to this person in the church and they were kind of saying this and I don't know if I should say something. And I'll be like, what's the boss move? <laughs> and here's what we're asking each other. Hold yourself to the highest standard you can because we know your character is being formed by the highest standard that you live to. See, what if we pivoted our minds away from always looking for the LCD, lowest common denominator? What's the least I could do to still go to heaven when I die? What's the least I could do to be faithful to my husband or wife? Do you know that it's not, it's a healthy marriage isn't built on the fact that you didn't go have an intimate relationship with somebody that's not your spouse on that particular given day, that doesn't make a healthy marriage. That's just the floor. Do you see what I'm saying? So what would it look like if instead, guys, we weren't like, hey, didn't have an affair today, total success, you know? It's like, yeah, that's great. Don't do that. But what, what if you actually like invested in your wife and you asked her how she felt and you talked to her about her hopes and dreams and you built her up in, in who she is and you encouraged her and Provide, you know, like what if it was a whole, what if you weren't always looking for the floor, but you were actually aiming for the ceiling? And so you ask yourself, what's the boss move? What's the boss move? Because our character is always being formed. Listen to what Warren Buffett said. He said, it takes 20 years to build a reputation and five minutes to ruin it. If you think about that, you'll do things differently. So remember the four G's. Don't touch the gold. Don't touch the girls or the guys, if that's you. Don't touch the uh, glory, and then have guts. Number three, always be honest with yourself. I think self-deception is the worst deception. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 51, but, if you, but you desire honesty, this is speaking of the Lord, the Lord desires honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. See, we live in a society that's very dangerous in its handling of truth and standards and morality. And we live in a society that rather than say, I'm on the wrong side of God's morality and I'm okay with that and I'm just going to be a rebel, that instead of that, what we seek to do is redefine the lines of what is good and bad, good and or bad, right and or wrong, up or down. We, we've moved into self-deception at its worst form, which is instead of saying, here's the line and I'm on the wrong side or I'm on the right side, we just go, no, I'll just move the line. And that's what self-deception is. Self-deception is saying, okay, God has revealed to me through the Holy Spirit that there's an area of my life that is outside of order of following Jesus as my Lord. And he's asking me to walk in a particular way of life. And, and that has to do with everything that I am as a person. Jesus doesn't just want your external behavior. He wants your internal motivations. You can't read the Sermon on the Mount and not see that Jesus isn't even just after what you do. He's after how you think and how, what you want. So he's a ruthless dictator. He wants it all. He doesn't like give you any freedom. Jesus isn't like, look, you handle this part. I'll handle this part. He's like, I'm Lord of all or not at all. Are we, are we okay with that? Okay. Maybe we're not okay with it, but that's what it is. And so here's what self-deception comes in. It says, okay, Christ has laid down the law. He's laid down this standard. And instead of coming to the line, let's say in my sexual brokenness or my brokenness with money or my brokenness in how I treat other people or whatever, and admitting I'm a sinner 
and I need a savior who himself by his grace and by the blood of the cross lifts me over the line and makes me righteous, even though I still make mistakes and even though I still sin, Christ, he helps us cross the line. Are you with me? But what self-deception does and what is, is says, okay, no, actually what I'm doing isn't breaking the line. I'm, I'm on the right side and we move the line. And when we do that, we remove ourselves from the capacity to receive God's actual grace. We remove ourselves from the, from the, the place of freedom. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. If you, if you do not live internally in a place of truth, then you will never be free. And that is the plain and simple fact of it. And so what I find is in our society are so many people who are always wanting everybody to agree with their definition of truth and reality and what they are ultimately in is a prison of their own lies because they refuse to speak the truth on the inside. And every follower of Jesus should be able to admit, this is where I do not measure up to Christ, but I never change the line. Because if I ever change the line, I've removed myself from the ability to receive his help to actually get where I need to be. And I live in a prison of lies. If you're honest with yourself, you'll be honest with God. You'll be honest with other people. And that's a place of humility. And God, it says in the scripture, gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. Pride will lure you into trying to change the lines. Oh, change the definitions. It doesn't, oh, is it really, does it really matter? Is that really what it is? Okay, yes, it does matter. Don't, don't, don't fall into that trap. So three, always be honest with yourself. That is a marker of someone with good character is that even when they have fallen or even when they're on the wrong side of, a, of something in their character, they will be honest about it. Number four, everyone falls into temptation, but the righteous stand in character. Proverbs 24, 16 says, the godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. But one disaster is enough to overthrow the wicked. The reality is that even the best marksman misses the mark sometimes, but they don't make it a habit. You see, godly character is a commitment to the continual process of being shaped and molded into the image of Christ. This was our, our staff uh, devotion this week. We talked about being formed in the image of Christ and why that's our focus as a staff and as a leadership team, both personally, but also for our leadership of the congregation. Second Corinthians chapter three, verse 18 says this. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. The, I mentioned this about being born again. Was that in this service or was that first service? Is that right now? Somebody help me. Yes? Okay, thanks. My brain doesn't work that well. Two services. I forget what I've said in either one. I might have actually preached a whole different message earlier. I don't know. <laughs> but we talk about this idea of being born again, that you now have this new paternity, and the goal is to look like your father in heaven. One of the things that is meaningful, and I want you to understand this from my heart and Bethany's heart as pastors and then the staff and our elders is that we don't just want external behavioral change, meaning that people, you know, that the congregation, oh, we come to church and maybe we give in the offering and maybe go to joy group and there's external behavioral change. That is not the goal. Yes, Christians go to church. Yes, Christians give. Yes, Christians are part of joy group. If you're not in a joy group, go to joy group. But that's not the full extent of what Christ is after he wants you to look like him. He wants your motivations to align with him. That from the inside out, you are becoming more and more like him, as this verse says, that we are formed in the image of Christ. And so we all fall. 
Scripture tells us in Romans, we've all fallen short of God's glory. We all, number one, make mistakes. Have you ever made mistakes and you look back and you're like, oh, I shouldn't have done that? In your character, in your morality, in your sin, you know, you shouldn't have done that. Other times, like I mentioned earlier, stone cold sober, you're like, I'm sinning. Hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to sin I go. You know, you're, you're doing it and you know you're doing it and you do it. And then after you do it, you're like, dang it, I shouldn't have done that. But you have to come to Christ and go, Lord, I'm sorry. This is not who I am anymore. That I stand in alignment with your truth, with your word that says I was dead in my sins, but now I'm alive in Christ. I was, uh, I was baptized, which means I went down into death and now I've been raised again to new life. Like I'm alive in Jesus. So I fall into temptation, but I'm going to stand in character, which means I'm not going to make excuses. I'm going to repent. I'm going to tell the truth. And I'm going to make every available uh, action I can do to now stand in character. See, the reality is, we talked about this idea of hypocrisy. People in the world will criticize Christians, all oh, they're being hypocrites. The reality is, yeah, every one of us Christians, how many of you would admit, I'm a hypocrite? Not all of you. There's not very many honest people here, I've noticed today. This... <laughs> well, I will be, I'll lead, okay? I'm a hypocrite. If somebody were to look at my life and everything I do, think, say, feel internally, my motivations, they would say, man, Jake, there is a lot of discrepancy in you. You do not look like Jesus Christ. How many of you would be like, I'm fully Jesus? Like people look at me, Jesus, me, same thing, you know, overlapping. No, if we're honest, there is a level of hypocrisy in all of us of which we are not living up to the full standard of Christ, right? But a follower of Jesus, a son or a daughter of of the Lord, of God, says, you know what? Where I fall short, I don't lie about it. I don't act like it wasn't falling short. But now I'm I'm going to turn over those aspects and areas of my life so I can begin to stand in character because the goal is to look like him. That is what it means to be honest inside of yourself. That is what it means to stand in character. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It means you're on a journey pursuing the character of Christ, being honest and letting him rework and shape you in his image. Amen? Number five, little things matter. Little things matter. Luke chapter 16, verse 10, Jesus says, if you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. Character is not just about the big things in life. It is especially expressed in the little things. The person with the greatest character cares about the smallest things in their life. God uses little things in our life to prove our character so that he can trust us with more. And I think we we intuit this concept even with children that we give them levels and measures of responsibility to build them up to a place where they can handle things like driving a car. How many of you with kids that don't drive yet are freaked out by this, okay? I'm only like four or five years away from having a child that I have to teach to drive. So if anybody wants to volunteer to help us out there, I'd love to just put my kid in your car and let her practice, you know, uh, there. But it's the little things in life. We, with Jack and Evie and Penelope, there's measures of responsibility given. And as they prove faithful, as they prove to have the right level of character and integrity in those areas, give them more and more responsibility. And when they prove that they can't handle it, we take that responsibility away and bring them back to their level. And here's the deal. If you want a great destiny in God, look for every opportunity to be faithful in the littlest and smallest details of your life. Don't don't let there be dusty uh, corners of your life and your heart and what's surrendered to Christ. Say, God, I want to be faithful in every area 
always asking the question, what's the boss move? What's the boss move? When it comes to cleaning your house, when it comes to uh, how you operate at your job, you might hate your job, do it to the glory of God because he's looking for that faithfulness even in the littlest areas. And those with the greatest character are faithful in the littlest places. I, I love to be given a very menial task and do it to the glory of God. That's why you're never going to, you know, if you come to Joy Church, we don't have this thing where like, well, the pastors don't serve. No, I move chairs. I sweep. I cleaned up somebody's cereal that you spilled the other day in the thing. It was actually my son. But anyways, (laughs) we get our hands dirty because faithfulness is expressed in the littlest things. If I want God to trust me with significant leadership, then he needs to be able to trust me with the little things. Amen. And so even in, our, even in our life and our character, don't ignore the little things in life. How often do we just go, oh, it doesn't really matter what we watch. It doesn't really matter what we listen to. It doesn't really matter what we feed our, our mind and our heart and emotions all the time with our media. No, the little things matter. Number six, character will always be tested. Poor character is like a rotten bean. When weight is applied, when the storm comes, when the test of integrity comes, it collapses. And that's usually at the worst time. Even Jesus himself was tested multiple times. You'd think that the devil would be like, ah, he gets a free pass. He's Jesus. No. If anything, he was tested even more. Right after he's baptized, Jesus is driven by the Holy Spirit, it says, out into the wilderness, and he's fasting for 40 days. And in that place, here comes the devil. He says, look, Jesus, you could turn this rock into a piece of bread and be, feed your hunger. He says, hey, I'll give you the entire, he takes him to the highest point of the temple, says, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. And then he tempts him again. He says, why don't you throw yourself off because the angels will stop, like basically test God. God. He's testing him in all these areas. Jesus is later tested in the garden of Gethsemane. He's there in the garden of Gethsemane. He can look up. I was there in Israel and it's very close to the temple. You look up and there's the temple mount. Jesus could see all the power and the prestige and everything he was facing and fighting against. And in the garden, he's like praying and he has tears of blood and he's saying, Lord, do I have to drink this cup? Speaking of the cross, but nevertheless, not my will, your will be done. He's tested. Will he honor the will of the Lord? And his character stands the test. He said, in this life, you will have trouble. Not if, you will. It's not a question of of if, it's a question of when. When the storms come and the character that you've built and your dependence upon Christ and have you built your life on the rock is going to get you through those times. But it will be tested. Don't be deceived. Low character always has a cost. But good, godly character will always bring a reward. And the reason I can say this emphatically is because it's biblical. It's the principle of sowing and reaping. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. My friends, if we will sow our lives into the little faithfulness, the ordinary faithfulness on a daily basis, being formed into the image of Christ, you can't not reap a harvest, a legacy of godly character and the reward that it brings. I would hope that as I stand before Christ, I would hear these words, well done, good and faithful servant. Not Jake, you had three good years, you were a superstar or you were hot stuff for five years, but then you totally screwed it up and messed up your family and totally failed because you wouldn't invest in little things, day by day faithfulness and building character. I just want to hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. I just want my children at my, at my funeral, I'm actually going to fake my own death so I can see what the, hear what they say, you know. 
that they, they, I don't want them to see their dad as being a hero. I want them to see me as being faithful and consistent all the days of my life. One of the things that I love about my own dad is that I've seen him make mistakes. I've seen him do wrong things, but I watched his faithfulness on ordinary days. For many years, he was up every day, five, five, five thirty in the morning at early morning prayer, six o'clock in the morning at the church, five days a week, just a man of consistent prayer. He doesn't have, he's not on the cover of magazines. He's never been invited to like speak at some global church leaders conference. I don't give a rat's rear end about that because my dad was is faithful, his character, and that made an imprint upon me. I've, I'm a, a beneficiary of a legacy of character. And therefore I want to do that for my children. I want to hear well done, good and faithful servant. It's about living with integrity and finishing the race that God has given us, not being a superstar, Got to have the courage to live with character and integrity in a world that is doing its very best to pull us down, to pull you down and get you to lie about the standard. You know what makes a big difference? Hey, I do fall short of the standard because here's Jesus and here's me down here, but I'm not, I'm not denying that I fall short, but I want to live and stand in that character and let him build that legacy in me. God can do extraordinary things through ordinary people and ordinary faithfulness on a day-to-day basis. That's what this is about living and leaving a legacy of character. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hey, would you bow your head and close your eyes with me today? You know, if you're here in this place and uh, you're hearing this message today, I want to give an appeal to you to turn over the lordship and the leadership of your life to Jesus Christ. Every single week at Joy Church, somebody comes to church and they're looking for hope, love, answers. Maybe you don't even know what it is, but I'm here to tell you that God wants to bring you into his family. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a Roman cross 2,000 years ago as payment for the sins of the world. And he gave himself for you. He's your savior. But then he also calls to be your Lord. He says, come and follow me. And he wants to lead you and direct you in life. And in this journey of following Jesus, you will discover who you are, who you're made to be, your purpose and your place in the family of God. But it starts with an act of surrender to say, I am a sinner, I need a savior. I choose Jesus as my Lord. I receive him as the Lord of my life. If that's you today and you want to make that that decision, we just raise your hand so I can see. I'm not going to embarrass you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Come on, anybody else in this place? I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to make you come forward. I'm just going to pray with you. Thank you so much. Awesome. Awesome. Anybody else here today? I want to I want to choose Jesus as Lord of my life and give him that rightful place. Awesome. Let's pray this prayer together. All of us repeat together. Dear Jesus, I give you my life. I thank you for your grace. Revealed to me at the cross where you gave your life for me and made a way for me to be right with you. I give you my life and I receive you as Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.